Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome, everybody. This is MSP Community Live. Wait, I got that one right this week. I'm Ray <laughs> and joined as usual is Mr. Matt Topper. Uh, neither of us have 100% attendance at this point. How you doing, brother? Doing all right. How about you? It's a, it's a warm 45 here in New York. Yeah, I uh, it's it's been nice here. Uh, it's still windy outside. I, I think we're like ten to thirteen knots, something like that. And uh, it was fifty something in the morning. It was really sweet. Nice. Uh, I know global warming bad, but Florida's got a winter for once. <laughs> I mean, you know, great great grandkids are screwed. Um, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's a bright side to everything. Um, so speaking of screwed, <laughs> there's been a lot of events oh. in the in the past Ouch. week. Uh, we're absolutely going to talk about the ConnectWise Screen Connect issue, um, but I'm going to start it off like I'm starting off everything I do on camera. Please go patch your damn control. Uh, I think the latest is 2.29. No, I'm thinking Hoodoo. Um, I forget what the latest is, but there was one after the security update. Um, so make sure you're patched. Um, and if you don't know what yes. we're talking about, we'll just... We'll discuss it in a few minutes anyway. Um, so besides the uh, besides that uh, kerfuffle, uh, how was the rest of your week, man? You know, that kind of took over the week. Uh, very productive week, though. Otherwise, uh, obviously, we got a little sidetracked with everything going on with Screen Connect. But uh, I have a presentation in Nashville next week. I spent a good chunk of this week preparing for. So things are things are good. How Thanks, about man. you? Uh, good. Doing the uh, last minute prep before write a boom. Uh, uh, like you, we, uh, we talked about I'm doing write a boom, then going straight from Vegas to Chicago for CCF. Um, and I'm sure the Cynthia Shriners and the Adam Slutskins and the Connor um, from Finn, I, Connor Swalms, I'm sure they'll all just laugh at me for complaining about one trip I have to do back to back. But I don't do that. So uh, trying to get all that <laughs> it stuff done. It is a long done. trip, though. <laughs> Between and, and there's a ConnectWise user group right after yes, that in Chicago. Right. Yeah, I was talking so to between Sean all that, about now, that. Now, really, it's yeah. only two weeks on the road. It's not that bad. It's two weeks on the road. Yeah, you, you say that kidless. I'm, I'm well. You have your pets. Um, I, you know, <laughs> true. I, true. I like going home with my family and staying home with my kids and having fun. So, um, which we call it. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm just whining. I'm just being a whiny baby today no it's not, i mean i i have so much respect for the people in our industry who do spend like all the time on the road i don't know how they do it um i could not travel that much yeah no i same absolutely same <clears throat> so uh so let's talk about first um which i'm call it hey good morning garrett i see garrett i see josh uh i see dean uh what's up guys so first story we're going to talk about um since we like to start uh, always fun, let's let's cover some social engineering and cyber attack. Um, that one seemed interesting. Uh, Danny, if you can bring that one up. Uh, I saw one. this. I, I don't know that I I read it. Oh, yes, I did. I responded to it. Did you? I haven't read it. <laughs> I did not. Um, so we have, <laughs> uh, let me see if I can do some quick summarization here. Uh, 3 p.m., 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, ticketing system lights up, phone rings same time, sock calling, ticket alert calling. Uh, so it's sky is falling type situation. Regarding a potential script execution via MSHTA. Oh, that's a fun one. Um, haven't heard that in a minute. Uh, immediately dug into the alert. It was on a custom RDS server. Makes more sense. Found the session ID and the alert details, login server, blah, blah. 
customer CPA firm claiming they had an issue with the previous CPA behind on taxes. Oh, CPA firm, the user had been in communication with a person claiming to be a new customer, claiming they had an issue with their mm -hmm. previous CPA and they were behind on their taxes and they needed help quickly. Uh, uh, not uh, uncreative. Um, the hacker sent a link, valid zip file, customer downloaded, password text, four PDFs labels if there were tax forms, 1099, et cetera, uh, but they were encrypted um, and would appear, appeared to be a password.txt, which was actually a password.txt.link, um, which pointed to the MSHTA, uh, which opened a website and had some script and then all went hell from there. Um, MSHTA, uh, just a quick sanity check. Those are the Microsoft HTML application files, right? Those are basically wrapped up web pages um, that have a little more power. <clears throat> right. It's just a, another mechanism to download files off the web without having to uh, invoke some external executable, um, right? Like with CertUtil happens or that with bits or any of those other mechanisms that you might use as a threat actor to uh, download a payload. Yeah. So you read this, you responded to this. What's your, um, what's your, what's your initial feedback when you're reading this? So when, when I was reading it, one thing, I think this was the thread that had the, um, they said it didn't get picked up by their EDR, like there wasn't an alert from it, but they did get an alert yeah. from the SOC, which I thought was interesting. And How would the SOC get it? Well, logs, I guess, um, if the EDR didn't pick it up. Yeah, that, that was the main takeaway. I mean, overall, it, it didn't seem like there was a question here in this thread. It was mostly just a, everything worked as it was supposed to, and it yeah. was nice. And yeah. my, my big reaction, it was nice to see that, that success story, although I was interested you know, to hear more details from the technical level, if they knew them about how exactly this was detected based on the comment that there wasn't an EDR alert and how quickly it came out. It must've just been some um, very quick proactive threat hunting. Uh, I assume there, there wasn't really much detail there. Yeah, I, I definitely, the nerd in me would love to hear more of the detail to it just cause I'd like to know what the hell happened. Um, perfect opportunity, I would think for, um, some user training about authentication. I'm trying to find the video. Oh, there we go. We did, um, whatchamacallit, we did an MSP uh, dispatch special report with Huntress uh, not too far back. I'll put the link in the chat. Um, but this was, uh, whatchamacallit, Huntress had a very similar thing. One of their vendors sent over a payment request and didn't, their process was, you know, dual checks and they found out yeah. it was a phishing scam. Uh, and the vendor had been compromised. Their a Huntress's vendor had been compromised. So we talked with uh, with one of their heads of uh, the finance departments over at Huntress, and we were talking about not technology didn't save them, process saved them. So I I, I love that. So I invite everybody to go watch that video. It's actually pretty uh, pretty interesting. Um, what about you guys? I I, I don't want to say. It's not like you were an MSP ten years ago. You're it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it feels it like it that long right? ago. <laughs> but like I'm I'm thinking back to my MSP days. We did have, and I was out of MSP uh, longer than you, uh, farther than you. I, I exited MSP like 2016, 2017. Mm. Um, but I don't remember back then identity verification being as crucial. Not discounting the, it's a need. It's not a question. But I don't remember it coming up as often back then. Um, did you come across it? Did you have policies to to 
prevent? Like, uh, how did you address it, if at all? It was just starting to be something MSPs thought about when I left. And we, we did, right? So we were using Duo for both internal and clients. And that was part of like, from the internal perspective, uh, Duo has the ability for a technician to send a support push out. And so that that's how we handled it from a, is this actually the client calling? Um, that worked out very well. Now, there, there is also the uh, not totally solved issue of from the client side, authenticating you, the MSP, right? If I'm a threat actor, I would love to call up my client and say, hey, I'm from, you know, Matt's MSP. Uh, can I remote into your computer? And, and so that is something also to think about. Um, how do you guys solve that? Do you solve that? that that's something that's newer and not really uh, brought up as much. You're uh, audio muted out, right? Because ah, I muted myself like an idiot. Always. Um, yeah, I was yeah, pointing out also in the chat, um, SIP, uh, Cyber Drain and Proof Partner Portal, also supports push via Microsoft yeah. Authenticator. Um, for that, you can push it out from SIP uh, or Roost Integration or however you want to do it um, mm -hmm. for user validation. Traceless IO, uh, full disclosure, I have financial interest in Traceless, but they are also a user identity. There's tons of user identity. I, these are just the two off the top of my head. You ask what I use, this is what I use. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not a live stream without me muting myself. Correct. Um, absolutely, Garrett. Uh, so... Yes. So on our end, um, we've all been to those websites uh, where you'll get notifications or emails that you'll see a little tagline. We will never ask for account details or your password over the email or over chat or over whatever. Um, I think that vendors also have an obligation to do a little bit of user training and setting expectations. Um, one of the things I always did, and I can't take credit for it, uh, for coming up with the idea, but... Um, you know, if I got a call from the IRS asking for information, which happens, you know, I own several businesses and it's just part of life. Um, IRS calls, I would never give them anything they're asking for, even when they're just trying to verify your identity that they're talking to the right person. I wouldn't even let that happen. I say, give me a number I can reach you back up. Give me a number I can verify online that that is the IRS number. Give me your extension. I'll call you back. Because as Steve Gibson says, if you weren't looking for it, don't take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I love that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's always been our <clears> practice. <throat> On the user side, um, I can't say that I've been a good vendor in that respect, honestly. I can't say that we've uh, pushed on the client to validate us. Uh, we always call from company numbers, which can be spoofed, of course. Um, we require billing pins and stuff like that. Obviously, we would only know the billing pin if we were the right party. Um, doesn't prevent them from giving the wrong party a billing pin. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a good challenge. How how would you recommend? Do you have any recommendations for that? That's actually uh, an interesting side of it. I hadn't thought about. I, I think it's very similar to what you just talked about with your IRS example, right? That that's one of the only ways to deal with that is to train your end users yeah. or your clients end users to know what a legitimate call looks like. And even that can be spoofed, right? Not from oh, just yeah. from a tech perspective, but from a mannerism perspective and procedure oh, yeah. perspective. I right. So all the AI fakes that are so easy right now. I know, right? Oof. Like before I used to get see uh, texts from people like, Oh, he doesn't talk that way. Well, that, that's gone now, right? The mannerisms can be spoofed yeah. now just as easily. Oh yeah. Um, 
all you can really do is it goes back to it's not necessarily a technical solution. You need to have a way to um, have your end users understand and verify it's from you, just like you did with the IRS. And that might be call a number back. That might be, and it might be contextual too, right? If, if you're calling to give some piece of information, maybe you don't have to go through that whole procedure. If you're calling to remote in an unexpected call, um, yeah. it's a little different. It, it It's tough though, because we know the sophistication level of the users we deal with and we're putting a burden on them to make that decision. So it, it, it's not necessarily an industry-solved problem. Um, I don't have a, a magic answer to this one. No, I, I think if I was an MSP, that would be a little easier because I could use the, the I think every RMM at this point and almost every remote access uh, tool with an agent allows you to pop up something on the SysTray. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That actually would be not a bad uh, idea if I was an MSP on the VoIP side. I don't have such opportunities, but on the uh, on the MSP side, I would use that. Right? This is I'm going to confirm I am who I am. I'm going to pop this up on your desktop so you can see it. Um, that's actually not a bad idea. I like um, that plan. Yeah. See, we're solving things. Not bad for. A, <laughs> for a there you go. Take notes. Start, starting the show strong. Um, all right. I gave you a little bit of breathing room. Uh, we're going to have to talk about the next story now. The big one. Screen Connect, a.k.a. FKA, uh, ConnectWise Control, FKA, Screen Connect. Um, I don't think it's, it's Screen Connect. <laughs> so give us give us the objective, just the details of what happened first um, in your in your own words, Matt. So, so really, the benefit of me having this show on Friday is that there's very little that hasn't been said about this so far, right? So there, there was a vulnerability uh, discovered in Screen Connect. It was responded to. Cloud instances were uh, updated before the patch came out or before the vulnerability was announced to everyone. The new patch came out and, and everything that's happened since has mostly been an effort to get on-prem partners to patch. Um, things have happened since then, including uh, not allowing licenses to check in if they're not updated, uh, allowing old outdated versions to upgrade without having to have a license check from the sales perspective. So a lot has happened in this effort, but it, it's really at this point an effort to get the messaging out. And the, the frustrating thing about that, I think uh, this was mentioned on that CyberCall episode of, on whatever day that was. If you're watching this show, the chances that you don't know about this already are near zero, right? Yes. If, if you're the people we interact with normally and that pay attention in the industry, you already know about that. And so that's why there, there have been efforts to try and get the, um, either you don't pay attention or maybe you have some on-prem server that you might have forgotten about, right? To get those updated. That's the real risk. The, the, the other important messaging to get out is that if you somehow made it to this point and haven't patched yet, mm. installing the patch is only step one, right? You need to go and figure out if you were already compromised and, and you likely were by now. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it feels, <clears throat> um, it feels like every time we cover something like this, and I, I was reticent to even discuss it today, um, because you're right. Anybody watching this patched it. They're they're 
aware of community events or aware of what's going on, they're patching mm -hmm. it. Um, so it's the same conundrum I have with MSP Dispatch when we cover a Porta OS vulnerability, which seems to be like every other Thursday. Um, or we cover, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or we talk about MFA, some breach because somebody didn't have MFA enabled or some stupid thing. And I, I greatly understand the audience. The audience that's watching live probably knows better. We get a non-zero number of viewers after the fact that are not people I've ever met in the MSP space that are just starting out, that are just whatever. Um, so that's what it ultimately led me to make sure we brought it up here. Um, I did want to ask, so, and given that you're a ConnectWise employee, completely understand if you don't want to answer this uh, for whatever reason. I did want to ask, so just because you mentioned the license check. So Patrick Beggs made, um, his official title is, is he CSO or what, what is his official title at ConnectWise? Yeah, uh, CISO. CISO, okay. So Chief Information Security Officer, brilliant guy. Anybody ever have a chance to go talk to him in person? One of the nicest human beings on the planet. Um, but uh, he put out a LinkedIn post, uh, I believe yesterday or, um, or earlier this week, uh, notifying that ConnectWise had made the decision to shut down the, um, to disable the on-prem instances that had not yet updated. Um, in my private MSP chats, the conversation came up, well, how would they do that? Does it mean backdoor access, blah, blah, blah. To me, the simple answer was, well, I know the apps check in for licenses all the time. To me, that's how I would disable something, that or API keys, um, but API keys wouldn't be uh, at play here. Um, was that the actual mechanism used? Are you allowed to disclose the, the mechanism ConnectWise used to disable the systems? I'd be speculating the same way you would, right? I'm not okay. on the, Fair enough. the product team. Um, it, it's got to be something like that. I, If it were me, um, <clears throat> some kind of license renewal is probably the mechanism I would think of first. I, I don't know if that's what was used. That's what would make sense to me. Yeah, and that, and that was the thing. Like when people start saying, oh, backdoors and this, I'm like, that's not the same thing. Backdoor to me is... Um, when Zyxel had the hard-coded password for root access, <laughs> remember those days? Uh, yeah, or when Fortinet did the exact same thing. Um, you know, that kind of stuff for the VPN client. Those things, those are backdoors. Those are absolutely backdoors. Um, license checks, making sure you can access services, those are not backdoors. Those are standard operating procedures for any software application. Um, so I, I mean, you know. Right, the, the absolute last thing I would want as a vendor is the ability to execute arbitrary commands on uh, systems that my software was installed on. Um, yeah. right, that, that just sounds awful to me. So the guy, I'm does. pretty confident yeah. we didn't do anything like that. So let me, okay, so now separate from ConnectWise, this is not a, no longer a ConnectWise conversation. Um, we had the, uh, there was a story, I think two and a half, three years ago at this point, um, there was a ton of uh, open, I don't remember if it was PFSense or Linksys routers or something to that effect, um, that had a an RCE, uh, very easy RCE, and some, call them hacker, um, somebody went in and just logged into them. Oh no, it was Microtik. They logged into a bunch of these devices, oh, yeah, the firmware, and left a message, right? And they were like, hey, we did this. Um, and to be clear, that is 100% illegal. Like, like, let's put that on the table. It's 100% mm -hmm. illegal. But also, it brought up the question. That's at one end of the spectrum. I would argue what ConnectWise did was very responsible uh, action um, on this side. But bringing up the vendor disabling the app or 
on the far side, the vendor not the vendor just doing notifications and not doing any any other actions. Um, so as with everything, there's gray area, right? Like where do we feel comfortable? Um, and I looked at it and I tried to associate analogs to previous events, right? So an ISP, we've all been blocked port 25 on ISP that started what early mid 2000s, something like that, where they started blocking port 25. Um, the AT&T would regularly send out notices if they saw uh, SMB traffic uh, on coming out of your, your WAN interface uh, and they would block it um, because uh, absolute uh, dangerous thing to have open. Um, <clears throat> so there's, there's examples of vendors proactively disabling service for the protection of others. Um, without action, but in those cases, what was brought up to me was those are cases where there's already been harm done from that endpoint that they're killing, right? Um, in this case, ConnectWise's efforts were preventative measures. Um, and I would still argue equally as important because of the fact of it was so easily, uh, it was so easily affected. Um, yes. The attacks. So it was dangerous. It was absolutely dangerous. Where do you fall on that? Not ConnectWise separate. Where do you fall on, on the MSP side having the vendor control that, uh, have that level of control, um, and executing it kind of thing. You know, it, it's a, at my sysadmin hat and my yeah. security hat, right. And they, they sometimes differ on this one in that my initial immediate reaction, if I put my sysadmin hat on is that hmm, I don't really like my vendor having that level of control over software I paid for. That being said, um, this particular event, and, and this convinced me that it's a good idea uh, when possible. And, and I think what you said factored into it, right? There's not a universal yes or no, this is a good idea or a bad idea. Based on um, how easy something is to exploit, that takes into it. Uh, yeah. Let's yeah. take into account the, um, the, the incident that this has been compared to all week, right? The exchange issue. And if Microsoft had a way to disable uh, those systems that hadn't been patched, I, I would have been okay with that because we, you know, when, when, when that came yeah, in, horribly. we went through the list and said, <laughs> hey, anyone who still has on-prem exchange, let's go figure out who hasn't been patched. And, and there was still a year later, there were still systems yeah. that had not been patched. I guarantee you there's still systems today. And um, I, I'll, I'll prognosticate a little bit. I would bet good money Microsoft absolutely has the ability to shut down systems remotely if they have to. Um, anything connected to the internet, you always have to imagine that's a possibility with the vendor, period. Um, you know, and if you're really paranoid, go run some PCAPs and look at where traffic's going and start examining and blocking stuff. Um, but still, it's, uh, you know, you, you, but so the event I actually likened it to was Kaseya. Uh, the July 3rd event, Kaseya. Um, wow, that's going to be two years ago now, isn't it? This year? Um, Might wow. be three years, right? Wasn't that 21? <sighs> Time flies so fast. Uh, the nightmare. Can't get away from it far enough, right? The the Freddy Krueger of uh, MSP events. Um, so Fred Vicolo uh, absolutely went public. And there was a period where there had already been uh, breached instances. That was already determined. And Kaseya made the proactive effort, the proactive action of shutting down their cloud, period. 
not just affected systems, just all of it until they determine scope, impact, and potential resolution. Um, that would be likened to this, right? This would be, it's yeah. a SaaS application, not an on-premise, but it's not very, it's not different in my opinion. Um, that was a proactive effort by the vendor. Um, and I don't think either one of us would disagree. That was a, a good proactive effort by the vendor. It was the, right, it, unless they were completely sure of the scope, um, that was really the only responsible option to take until they understood the, the fallout. Same thing happened with um, Rackspace. Not yes. too long ago, right? Yeah, yeah. With the uh, what was it? China. Uh, there was a Chinese uh, actor doing data exfiltration or something to that effect. Or they had seen potential signs and they they proactively addressed it. Um, no, I love that. I, I genuinely love that because we go back to how many times we have to discuss lack of MFA, have to discuss user identification. Even with the best of things, we're identifying stuff that I I'm falling short on and we didn't weren't even considering previously. Um, so it. it stands to reason that if the vendor has an ability to protect, they also have responsibility to protect. Um, so I, I, I'm not I gonna, agree. I'm not going to beat it to death, but I, I do think ConnectWise made uh, an amazing decision and it was absolutely phenomenal. I'm not saying because you're on this on this call. I've said it privately and publicly a million times already. Um, and go patch your damn screen connect um, <laughs> if you haven't done it, for God's sakes. All right. So Please. So the next one we're going to talk about, um, this is a little bit of a, this is a little rant that I, I started on. Um, and I, I will give very light backstory why, but this isn't, uh, so this started with Rite of Boom, um, which Andrew Morgan is incredibly protective of his, for good reason, phenomenal event. Rite of Boom is a phenomenal event by any standard. Um, one of my favorite events all year. Um that MSP Keycon, IT Nation Connect, they're, they're my top three easily. Um, so with that said, um, and, and it's not just Andrew Morgan, the event organized organization team um, does not allow vendors to attend uh, as a policy. Um, they can, if you're not sponsoring, you can't attend period. And so that brought to me the question of, and he, you know, there's exceptions made to everything. Uh, but that brought my initial question of, as a vendor, I have the same requirements to train my staff and keep them up to date on technical skills, customer service skills, business skills, finance skills, blah, blah. They have to be up to date on their skills. Yes, there's LinkedIn training. Yes, there's Coursera. Yes, there's other events. Um, but I would argue the MSP events are the ones that tell us what's most important in the MSP space, right? The ConnectWise control, and I granted it's used by enterprises globally, I get that. The ConnectWise control conver or screen connect conversation, shit, now that went back to the original name, I can't stop saying that. <laughs> you name. finally got used to the new one. I did, I did. Um, I, th I think it's just me being like contrarian at every opportunity. Um, so with with this, the screen connect issue, yes, global uh, global impact, but I don't believe the same conversations were as common um, outside the MSP space, right? Yes, it comes up in the IT space overall, but MSPs were talking about it and are still talking about it nonstop, right? That's the core of the where the conversations take place. So I would argue, especially in the security arena, but I can still say this for tech and support in some other arenas, getting MSP specific uh, security training is paramount. 
to be a vendor to protect my company in the best interest of the MSP, I think that there's a component there. So, and I'm not calling Andrew out. I'm not calling Ryder Boom out. He's not the only conference that does this. I'm, and there's reasons for it. There's limited seats. There's the priority for the intended audience. Also, as a sponsor, I would absolutely complain if I didn't have enough uh, MSP attendees. So there's two sides to the coin. But I wanted to address not the right of boom thing. I wanted to address the vendor training opportunities thing. Um, you had some, we don't have to call out any conferences. You don't have to be like me. But you you had some issues when you were at Gradient, right? Where you had a security role, right? What was, what was your title at Gradient? I don't know. <laughs> Director of security, I think. Some, something security. Matt, the security guy is basically what it was. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. But, um, but you had your own challenges, right? Trying to get training and attend some of these events so so not only that right not only was i in a security role i was still active in the msp security community at the time right i was still you know on on geek and reddit and all that stuff and <clears throat> i found it difficult to attend conferences as a vendor um yeah right right a boom was one but certainly not the only one it, it happened to numerous ones and I, I question what the answer is here, because like, like you mentioned, if you're sponsoring, you want to talk to people who have the capability to purchase things. Um, is there maybe some kind of way to have a you know different ticket type or different um, event types or just some way to be able to get that connection without inviting vendor salespeople. And that, that's yeah. the, the challenges too, right? Because the if there's right? a way to allow yeah. that, all the salespeople are going to say, hey, I'm a security guy. It, it's true. I, there's always going to be the bad actors. And it's not even a small amount. I mean, we've all seen the complaints on Reddit and elsewhere and Geek and everywhere else of vendor X did something sleazy or something, whatever, across the line. Um, so yes, there's always... I've, I can't remember any conference where I haven't had a guerrilla salesperson, you know, somebody that's attending as an attendee and they're, you know, taking opportunities to try to sell at every opportunity. I get that. Um, and also it should be stated, uh, MSP Geekon was actually very public about the financials for, for last year. Um, most conferences, the conference pass that the attendee pays does not cover the, cover the entire cost of that attendee. Um, usually it's like a 60, 40 split. You're covering like 60% of the cost. The, the sponsorships and all the other stuff make up that difference, but mm -hmm. it is actually absolutely a loss leader for the conference promoter on the MS on the attendee side, um, to which I would say, charge me double as an, as a vendor, right? Give a limited number of tickets, charge me double. Um, because the other half of the thing is when I'm going to an event, I'm sponsoring, we're taking our sponsorship team, but it's also, we're already going to be there. That's the best time to take some of my people for training, right? Um, to be fair, my CTO and my, uh, and uh, he's not a CISO, my CTO and uh, my security officer are going to be at Right of Boom. Um, just so that, that we're not complaining about Right of Boom specifically, but it's a challenge. Uh, so I'll ask you guys, you know, in the chat or anybody who watches after the fact, if you have ideas, I want to know if the MSPs care. I want to know, right? Do they do they even care if their vendors are trained? Um, maybe we'll get a. Uh, and before anybody says it, yes, we still we do send people to RSA and DefCon and the other conferences. Absolutely, do it. Um, 
anybody that's ever attended a DEF CON knows damn well it is not the same thing as an ITN secure, right? Like those are not the it's same. It's a little event. different. <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, there's uh, a jack for every Jill, I guess, is the uh, easiest way. All right, so let's look at some of these stories. Uh, what we can cover uh, was there were there any that uh, pricing with bundling uh, uh, kills me? Um, are there any that uh, jumped out at you? No, um, of course you're not sharing screen at the moment. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I can, Danny. If you can just share the RMSP screen, I would appreciate it. Um, how many accounts per account manager? Uh, running a profitable sock uh, seems interesting. Um, lots of screen connect threads, <laughs> so we're not going to cover that. Um, <clears throat> been there. Yeah. Uh, Google Workspace and Apple Hybrid. No, thank you. Uh, Lighthouse. Lighthouse baselines. Anyone got them to work? Um, it's a technical post, and I have no interest in covering technical stuff on the call. But um, the reason I bring this up, though, is because the adoption of Lighthouse, right? Um, yes, a, co a code of conduct for vendor attendees who are not sponsoring 1,000%. Uh, and of course, that comes from Mary Signorelli, who's phenomenal over at Finn uh, and has a, a good amount of experience to train all of us. Yeah, that um, could be a good answer. Yeah. Um, so with that said, um, this one, Danny, I put it in the chat. Um, Lighthouse. My bigger question is, do you know anybody using Lighthouse besides Kelvin? Uh, do you know anybody using Lighthouse? Besides Kelvin? Yeah. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> I mean, so for those that um, for those that remember, Lighthouse came out a couple of years ago, I think, at this point as an alpha. Um, I don't even know if it's uh, it's public or if it's uh, production. Uh, or whatever the hell the term for SaaS is at this point, um, go live, I guess, um, or it's out of beta. Uh, so basically, Lighthouse was meant to be a CSP-style manager management platform. Um, I know it got compared a lot to like RMMs, and it was the end of RMMs, and that's what all the news stories were. Um, but the reality is Lighthouse is not an RMM by any standard. Um, I would actually liken it maybe closer to SIP, realistically, uh, and all the Microsoft 365 management platforms. It was meant to be a single- From an intent class. perspective, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, from an intent, well, that you could say with all Microsoft products, you can give that disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> but did you play with it at all? Uh, or have you played with Lighthouse at all? Yeah, we, we did. Um, and it, it was even less mature then. So it's, we, we simply found it wasn't ready yet at the time. Now this was two years ago at this point, right? So it, it, things have changed significantly, but the, the feedback I get from most people I talk to is that it's still not viewed as the primary management tool for anything, right? I, I do know most organizations have tested it in some way just to stay up to date. They maybe tried things. I don't know really anyone who's making heavy use of it as a primary system to do things. I'm curious to hear if anyone is. Yeah, I see uh, Josh uh, saying he uses Lighthouse templates for anything not in SIP. That makes sense. Uh, but again, not a primary use platform, just a, a backup for for what it is. Um, 
Yeah, I'd love to hear more from Josh, maybe at a later date, on how he's using Lighthouse uh, and what, because I'm woefully out of date when it comes to Lighthouse uh, education. That's um, why we don't answer technical questions. We're, <laughs> we're becoming less qualified by the day to do so. I hate to say it, but that's absolutely true, um, which is why we need to keep up on MSP events and uh, be at the MSP conferences. So, <laughs> all right. Um, VoIP for basic phone use only. That's an easy remove. Um, starting an MSP. That seems fun. Um, that's better than a, which RMM should I choose? Uh, starting so, MSP. Okay, yeah, let's talk yeah. about that. Uh, very broad question here, uh, but how hard is it to start an MSP in such a dense and competitive sector? Could someone who comes from a technical background start their own MSP? And what skills would they need to develop to start making sales and getting clients? Um, Assuming well, they were not like, wrong. Very broad question. Very broad question. So assuming this is not like guerrilla marketing from some, some salesperson, um, I'm going to take it at, at its word that it's uh, somebody interested. I will start off with giving kudos that you're asking the questions before going down the path. Good for you. Um, this is the polar opposite of what most people do and just say, hey, I'm going to start charging people. What can I charge them? Uh, so you're starting. If you were going to start an MSP today, um, not to dox you, but you're in a Northeast United States in a fairly populated within reach, uh, area. Um, you guys know where I am. <laughs> I know exactly where you are. I'm just not putting it out publicly on video, dude. Um, so I'm in upstate New York. I think everyone knows that. All right. Fair enough. Um, so New York has a fair amount of MSPs. I know many, many, many of them, they're friends. Uh, yes, most of them are on NYC, of course, but uh, all over New York. Um, if you were going to start an MSP, say, in NYC, right, in New York City. Um, yeah. That's a saturated right. market. Sa yeah, and I'm in Miami. I'm saturated markets, right? Um, how difficult would you think it would be to 1 to 10? Uh, to just to make it easy to answer, how difficult do you think it would be to get in there and actually get clients, be competitive? So it's two different questions, right? Yes. And, and, and the reason I say that is if I personally wanted to do it, I think I have enough contacts here to do that. Mm -hmm. But if I were someone who was, you know, maybe who had just been a, a tech my entire career or, or didn't spend time networking with other businesses, it would be extremely difficult. Yes. Um, and even then, I primarily, like I, I do have a lot of business experience, but certainly not a primary business person, right? That would be a steep learning curve for me to do that. So there's, there's two aspects there. So I would say for me starting it, I don't know, six, seven, eight, somewhere up there, if I were like, hey, I really like playing with tech and trying to start in a saturated market, nine, 10. And I think the biggest thing is there, there is that techs are going to find sales extremely difficult. Yeah. Um, it's not that you can't start an MSP as a tech. It's that you have to realize a business is not just tech. Um, if you can't do sales, you can't afford to do the tech. You won't have tools. If you can't do marketing, you won't get the leads for sales. If you can't handle business, the whole thing will fall apart and you'll be broke within the first year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, mine's not very different. My answer is not very different from yours at all. Um, I think it's 
if you try to do it yourself, it's a solid 10. If you go into it with planning and understanding your areas of deficiency in the beginning and before you roll out, say, I need to bring in this person to be able to do this. I need to be this person to be able, be able to do this. Or you're going to take time to educate yourself first before starting down the MSP path. That's a different conversation altogether. That's make a business plan, make a one page business plan. Um, I believe Ian and Kerry Richardson have some out. I know Kyle Christensen has some out with K7 Leadership um, and Empath. Uh, they're out there. One page business plans are easy to find. Have a plan. And then if you do that, I would argue maybe that brings you down to a six or a seven. Um, the, the other thing is it's not, you know, understand your own limitations, right? So the the value I bring is the like technical vision to this. And I, I can do business and sales, not as well as a business person though, right? And so like the MSP I came from was founded by two people, a business person and a technical person. That's not a bad way to go if you want to get into this industry, that's, right? That's don't, a beautiful Don't try and muscle it. through it. <laughs> well, because, and, and and even with that, for those that are saying, oh, sh oh damn, I need to go find a, a business person. I need... Realizing your, your limitations, like Matt said, but also understanding can you do it reasonably enough right no well my case i'm kind of a different animal but um because i was raised in business and then my career was tech so it's a different animal but um but if you can go in and say okay i'm going to learn how to get the next 10 15 leads i'm going to close one deal so i can get that 2500 5k mr that'll let me hire a salesperson or that'll let me hire somebody that can help me bring them on or maybe start to offer a little bit of equity, a little bit of profit share to somebody that can help you on the outstanding areas. Don't be, I don't think, Matt, you're, I don't think you're gonna argue with me on this of, it's not black and white. There, there's creative ways to solve these things. You just have to be aware of the potential downfalls and how to address them. Um, you know, yeah. just, it's doable. You know, it, it, I think you're saying, know what you're getting into. And if you're a technical engineering type person, designing the most elegant architecture you can is maybe 10% of the work you end up doing. Probably less than that. I'm looking at some of these chats. Uh, I, I love Josh's statement. That goes for any business, 100%. I'm, uh, I'm saying this, I can say this with confidence now. I own and run several businesses. I still continue to do so. They all start exactly the same. What market share is available? How competitive can I be? What's the value proposition, the market differentiation? What startup funds do I need? What people do I need in place to get the job done? Blah, blah, And I plan up all that before I even file an LLC. Um, because otherwise it's not worth it, just don't bother. Um, see, we have Accidental Entrepreneur. I believe that's even a book, Dean, is it not? Um, correct me if I'm not, but that's the thing, right? The Accidental Entrepreneur where, um, and I know Traction talks about this, where, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're good at something. You realize there's an opportunity to make money off of it. Somebody's interested in paying you. Boom, you have a business. Congrats. How do you get your next customer? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it's a real thing, right? Like, you know, don't go hang out a shingle if you don't have a plan to get customers. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think we beat that one over the over the head. Um, we are. Uh, anything else uh, before we close out with the uh, CIA promo and uh, the closeout? Anything else you want to say, Matt, before uh, we take off? Uh, the, the only thing I'll add is that the uh, call for speakers is open for IT Nation Secure coming up. Oh, so sweet. if you have anything you want to present, um, 
please get it submitted. I think the I think it's open through the end of the month. I think March or call for speakers. I'm going to see if I can find the link. I'll put it in the chat. So the um, what you call it. So anybody that wants, because uh, I see some people in the chat that normally do a lot of speaking. Submission so deadline March them. 29th. There you go. So you got till March 29th. Don't wait till March 29th. Uh, but, uh, submit Please. and see if you can teach us some stuff. <laughs> you know. Please don't wait uh, that long. Yeah. Uh, are you going to be uh, doing any speaking uh, at Secure? I think I might get fired if I didn't do any <laughs> sessions at Secure. Uh, just given the the security evangelism role, I will definitely be around. And uh, and I since we started this with uh, with the challenge of vendor training, I will thank ConnectWise publicly. Not you; you had no say in it. But I will thank ConnectWise publicly uh, for letting me send my security people because ConnectWise is not one of the vendors that uh, locks the conferences down. Um, so thank you. We will be sending our engineering team for some education over at ITNS. With that, um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching. We appreciate you. Uh, if you enjoyed MSP Dispatch, you enjoyed Community Live, stay on. We're going to have uh, bits and books with Marnie Stockman in all of nine minutes. So, <laughs> all right, till everybody. Till next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Bye, guys. Here at the MSP Media Network, we have a greater responsibility to recognize women not just for their accomplishments, sales, productivity, and products, but for their direct impact on the MSP channel. Our newest show, Channel Impact Awards, will spotlight the mentorship, charitable works, and behind the scenes, above and beyond behavior that often goes unrecognized. Our first season of Channel Impact Awards will award women of the channel for their incredible contributions. We hope you'll join us in our commitment to highlighting the exceptional women of the MSP channel. Please scan the QR code on your screen now to nominate a woman you know for the Channel Impact Award. You have two weeks to nominate someone you know. Stay tuned on the MSP Media Network for more information on the Channel Impact Awards including our esteemed panel of judges and the first set of award-worthy nominees. broadcast of the MSP Media Network.